If you have a Bible, would you turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15? First Corinthians 15 is where we're going to be. I won't make you stand again because I just sat you down. It's not nice to do that too many times to people. But let's look this morning at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 24. And this is God's word for us this morning. Have you found it? Okay. Well, hello. I have an escapee up here. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 24 says this. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Let's pray together once more. Lord God, you share with us here in this passage the most important key element of what we must believe in order to really be your children. What I would ask you to do, Lord, today is help us see it and be encouraged by it and to grow from it. Speak into our hearts. Make this matter. Let us lay aside the 
the rushing and the movement of the morning. And let us hear you in your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So today is a day of celebration. It is the day in which we as the people of God remember with joy the resurrection of Jesus. Guys, there's no, import, there's no more important day on the Christian calendar than today, than Resurrection Sunday, Easter. And we are here to remember and to worship the risen Savior. Now, the passage I read to you guys was written by a man named Paul. Originally, Paul was one of the biggest opponents of Christianity in the known world. He hated Christians. He had them imprisoned. He had them executed. He casted his vote against them. But something happened in Paul's life that convinced him that Jesus really is the promised Savior sent to us from God. Now, what could do that? What could convince somebody who hated Christians that this is all real? Well, the section of the Bible we're going to read this morning shows us. So if you're a note taker, be ready for four points that we're going to find in the passage as we look to God's word and see how important it is that Jesus is alive. So first point this morning, if you're writing them down, hold on to your faith in Jesus's resurrection. The idea here, hold on to your faith in Jesus's resurrection. Look at verses one and two. Paul writes, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So here we go. We get started. And Paul, the the former doubter of Christianity, wants to remind his readers of the gospel. What's the word gospel mean? I'm going to remind you of the gospel. You don't know what he's talking about. The word means good news. And Paul says... He knows some very helpful, very wonderful news that everybody needs to know. In fact, even though the Corinthian church has already heard this message, already believed it, already been saved through it, Paul says it's worthwhile for me to write you a whole chapter in the Bible to remind you of that which is most important. I want you to get to the foundation of the word. So how important is it that we remember these foundational truths? It's huge. This is vital. Paul says remembering the gospel is a sign that your faith is real. He says in verse 2, you're saved by the gospel, rescued from danger before God by this good news. And he says it's true if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. So, Again, right here, he says, I'm writing this because I want you to hang on to, to grab hold of, to cling to with all your might the truth of the gospel. And that will be the proof that what you believed was not useless or in vain. You believe in vain, that means you have a false faith, an empty faith, a meaningless faith. You don't want that to be true of you. But the Bible clearly indicates that it's possible. So... The point here, as we open this, is hold fast to the truth of Jesus' resurrection. The whole chapter here in the Bible, it's actually 58 verses, we're not going to cover them all. 
It's all about the resurrection of Jesus. It's all about the gospel. It's all about you holding fast to the idea that Jesus is actually alive and even actually alive today. You cannot be a Christian and not hold to a literal, physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead. If, if you believe that the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus being alive is just figurative, that it's a picture, that Jesus, oh, of course, is alive in our minds and in our hearts, but no real body came out of the grave. If that's what you believe, you have not believed the gospel. The faith that we claim if we don't believe Jesus is alive, Paul says it's empty, it's vain, and vain faith won't save your soul from the wrath of God. So, the call is, hold fast to the belief that Jesus is alive. And you might say, well, how do I know it's true? What is there to give me a reason to believe that Jesus really is alive? Paul gives us a bunch of logical proof of that in the next point. So let's look at that real quick. Second point of the message. Point number two, be encouraged by the testimonies about Jesus' resurrection. Be encouraged by the testimonies about Jesus' resurrection. Look at verses 3 and 4. Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. What I just, what I'm starting to read to you here is one of the most bold things in the whole of the Bible. It's one of the most amazing, oh my gosh, I can't believe that someone would, would dare say this sort of thing. Imagine the boldness of Paul telling the world that there is one fact, there is one truth, that if it is false, if you can disprove this, every bit of Christianity is false along with it. Can you imagine telling people, I will show you the target to shoot at. If you want to disprove me, knock this down and you knock the whole faith down. That is a gutsy, gutsy thing to do. But Paul also says, if this thing is true, then everything about Christianity is true. That's where we're going in this section. First, Paul says, he delivered to the Corinthians what he himself received. He didn't make this up. He is telling people what he learned from somebody more important than himself. But what is it he says is of the highest importance? He says the biggest, most important thing you could ever believe is that Jesus died, was buried, and was raised to life. The crucifixion of Jesus, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, Paul says that's the most important thing you could ever know. Now let's make a couple things really clear. Jesus really did die on the cross of Calvary. He really was buried in a borrowed tomb. And the Bible says his body laid in a grave over three days. Then at the end of those three days, the Bible says Jesus really bodily, physically got up, walked out of the tomb alive again. And he's alive still. That's what Paul says is of the utmost importance to every believer. Now, here's what's cool. 
The glorious thing about the crucifixion of Jesus, besides that it is the Son of God sacrificing himself to pay for our sins, is that it's not the last thing Jesus did. I mean, think about it. A lot of people say, I'm going to do this if it's the last thing I ever do. Jesus died and it still wasn't the last thing he ever did. That's impressive. Now, Jesus really did die. No rational person in history who examines the evidence has ever doubted that Jesus died. Now, uh, some from other faiths, you know, the the Quran actually says that the the people were mistaken and they they had somebody else in Jesus' place. But I can tell you guys, Roman soldiers were smart enough to know if they had the right criminal. They were also smart enough to know that they really had the guy dead before they took him down. They were experts in this. They didn't miss. But Jesus also came back out of the grave, which is stunning. Paul says Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection are all first according to the scriptures. He's showing us twice in two verses that what happened here was what the Bible had been predicting for years. That's important. To the Christian, nothing is more important than the word of God. Nothing is a stronger standard of proof than the Bible. But even for someone who's not yet a believer, the idea that the Bible would predict the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus thousands of years before it occurred, that ought to give weight to the fact that this is true. The witness of the scriptures to Jesus' resurrection is one super solid testimony that Jesus really did everything he claimed to do. The Bible promised it and it happened. But let's look at another witness in verse 5. Paul says that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. You see, the resurrection of Jesus was not just predicted by the Bible. It was witnessed by Cephas, also known as Peter, by the way. That's the same name. And the rest of the disciples. Why does Paul say that Peter saw the risen Lord Jesus? Probably because Jesus specifically said some important things to Peter. But it's not just Peter. It's the other twelve disciples who saw Jesus alive. Now, if you're a skeptic, though, you might say, well, of course the 12 guys that want you to believe in Jesus are going to tell you that he was alive. They are the most likely people to make up a story about Jesus rising from the dead. But this group didn't just declare that Jesus rose from the dead. They also died for that belief. All of them. Y'all, it is unlikely to get 12 people to perpetuate the same lie. That's hard to do. You ever try to get people to even get a true story the same way? It's hard to get 12 guys to gather together and say, let's all tell the same fake story. But it's really hard to get 12 guys to tell the same fake story and to be willing to be executed for that same fake story without even one of them denying it. That's almost impossible to imagine. There is only one logical explanation to have 12 men who showed themselves that they, I mean, they showed us they will run from trouble. I mean, when Jesus got arrested in the garden, they ran like crazy. But, within a few days, all 12 were willing to stand up to suffer 
to give their lives, to die for the story of the resurrection of Jesus. You know the only way that could happen, really, is if they really believed it to be true. But then look at verse 6. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So Jesus didn't just appear to his disciples after he rose from the grave. Paul points out a time that Jesus actually stood up in front of a crowd of 500 people after he'd been crucified. Paul says, hey guys, most of this group that I'm talking about is still alive. You can go ask them if you want to. You want to know who saw Jesus alive after he died? Look up these 500 people. Yes, a few of them have died, but most of them are still with us. That is a huge claim. Because if this story was false, out of the 500, somebody would tell you. It could have been disproved. Somebody could have found the crowd. Somebody could have questioned them. But nobody did. The story stood. Never once discredited. One major key to evidence in a court of law is when the evidence is corroborated by eyewitnesses. If more than 500 people saw the same thing, you need to guess that that's a pretty strong indication that it could be true. Now, for sure, for sure, eyewitnesses miss things. For sure, eyewitnesses will miss details of the story. But it is really unlikely to get 500 people all to see the same thing and for them all to miss the truth. So, though it's not necessarily complete proof, the fact that this many people saw Jesus alive after he rose from the grave is another solid bit of evidence that the resurrection is true. So we've seen the witnesses from the scriptures, from the disciples, and now from a big old crowd. But there's one more that's even more important still. Verses 7 through 11. It's more convincing to a lot of people. Paul says, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. So here's here's the last section of proofs I want to cover. It's the testimony of formerly hostile witnesses. Now the first name that's mentioned here is James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. And James was originally among those, he knew Jesus because he grew up with him, but he was a skeptic. He did not believe. He was one of the guys that came and tried to get Jesus to stop preaching. James came along with Mary at one point and said, hey, you, need to, you need to stop doing this. You're going to get in trouble. You're kind of freaking us out. Now seriously consider this. James was Jesus' half-brother. What would it take for you to believe that one of your relatives is God and the Savior of the world? I mean, we got a bunch of Lekowitz siblings here. I have never heard one of them say, you know what? Man, I think Noah's deity. (laughs) Didn't happen. 
My brother came to visit me. He has never once thought I was divine. That's true, right? See? What would it take to make you believe that your brother was God in the flesh? Because you saw this guy for the last 30 plus years. But something happened to genuinely convince James that Jesus had risen from the grave and really was the Son of God. Guys, that's unbelievable. But it's what happened. And the most skeptical of all is the last witness Paul brings to the stand to testify about Jesus' resurrection. Paul says that Jesus also appeared to him personally. Paul saw Jesus while he was more than just a skeptic. Paul was a persecutor of the church. Paul was like, he said, I'm like somebody born dead. I'm like like someone untimely born. I should not have ever been let in, Paul says, because he never was going to believe in Jesus. He, he was against Jesus. He was killing Christians for believing in Jesus. But God graciously saved Paul and changed the entire direction of Paul's life. I mean, think of the logic here. Paul was rising up in the ranks of the Jewish religion. He had a famous teacher and Paul was, I mean, so everybody knew Paul was an important, vital teacher of the day. What could possibly make him throw away this easy career that was in front of him, walk away from the Jews, and join the very group he had been trying to kill? What could do that? Paul knew Christians weren't going to trust him. Many people doubted him for a very long time. Why would he do it? He had everything to lose. He had nothing to gain unless... Paul really saw the risen Jesus and he really realized that he had really been wrong. The only way that Paul could possibly stop arresting followers of Jesus and become a follower of Jesus is if Paul's testimony is true and Paul really encountered the risen Lord Jesus. Nothing else makes sense. So what do we have here in this section? Paul, the apostles, the crowds, and the scriptures all coming together to bear witness to the fact that Jesus really walked out of the tomb and is alive. Paul and the apostles preached it. The Corinthians believed it. There is evidence, solid evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And I can tell you guys this. Thinking people from the first century believed it. Thinking people believed it. We're 2,000 years removed from all this eyewitness testimony. But can I be frank with you? If these testimonies could have been refuted 2,000 years ago, they would have been. The Jewish religious leaders and the Roman government desperately longed to make people not believe Jesus was alive. But those proofs could not be refuted in the first century and you and I are not going to be able to find evidence to refute them today. The only logical alternative is to let the testimony of the Holy Scriptures, the disciples, Peter, James, the 500 and Paul convince us that Jesus really is risen from the dead. Or if you already are a believer, let this evidence strengthen your faith. So let this passage of Scripture do what it was intended to do. 
let it strengthen your faith that Jesus is alive. All right, third point. Third point. Recognize the necessity of Jesus' resurrection. Recognize the necessity of Jesus' resurrection. Verses 12 to 13 say, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So, why is Paul writing about the resurrection? There were apparently some really smart people in Corinth. You guys know like really smart people that decide they're going to doubt everything, right? And these really, really smart people decided, well... The Bible's not really predicting that people who die in Christ are going to live again. They decided there was not going to be a literal resurrection of all the believers in Jesus. Now, for some reason, they believed that Jesus was alive, but they started to doubt that, 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 that anybody else was coming back from the grave. So Paul makes a real simple logical argument here in these two verses. He says, look. If you don't believe the dead can come back, then you can't believe that Jesus came back. But if Jesus did come back, you need to believe that people who died are also coming back. But there is life after death, is what Paul's saying. If you deny that there's life after death, you can't believe Jesus rose from the grave. Now, verse 15, or sorry, verses 14 to 19 say, And if Christ has not been raised, this is big, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So here again, Paul is being very straightforward, very logical. If the resurrection of Jesus did not take place, we've got a huge problem. Paul says every bit of Christian preaching and every bit of Christian faith is absolutely meaningless if Jesus isn't alive. Again, I think that's gutsy. Can you imagine laying the whole religion of Christianity on the table and saying, if this ain't true, none of it's true. If this isn't true, it's all worthless. That's what Paul did. In verses 15 and 16, Paul says, look, Christian preaching is useless and dishonest if Jesus isn't alive. If the Corinthians want to believe that bodies aren't going to come out of the grave after they die, then you need to understand that that precludes the resurrection of Jesus. And if Jesus isn't raised, everything that we've ever preached about before is a lie all the scriptures that pointed to Jesus' resurrection are false. None of it means anything. Verse 17, Paul says it so clearly. If Jesus is not raised, we are still in our sins. There has been no sacrifice made to, sa- to satisfy the wrath of God. We are guilty. We have no hope of ever being able to pay for our sins. We will not be forgiven. We face the wrath of God Verse 18, he says, look, if Jesus isn't alive, there is no hope for your loved ones who have died before you. If Jesus isn't raised, then nobody before you has ever been forgiven. Everybody who's ever died is suffering the wrath of God because the sacrifice of Jesus didn't work if Jesus isn't alive. And then in verse 19, he says, look, if Jesus isn't alive, we Christians are the biggest idiots on the planet. Verse 20, 
I've actually heard people say, well, you know, even if it's not true, it's good to be a Christian because you're just... No. No, 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 no. By the way, I've heard, I think I've heard some of you guys say that before. But, sorry. Look, if Jesus isn't alive, whatever it is you like to do, go do it until you die. Because this is worthless if Jesus is dead. Do you get it? How big a deal this is? If Jesus is dead, party on the strip or be one with nature or whatever you want to do. Because this means nothing. And Paul says it is completely sad to watch an entire people group give their lives and their hearts to a falsehood. It ain't worth it. How sad to see anybody trust in a resurrection that would never come. How sad to see people live in sacrifice and persecution to die and then face the wrath of God for sin. That's not worth it. So the whole point of this section is to tell us we have no hope, we have no faith, we have no religion worth anything if Jesus is not alive. The wages of sin is death. The cost of our sin against God is death. Jesus' resurrection proves that Jesus didn't just die for sin, but he so completely paid the price for sin that he could live again. Jesus' resurrection is what indicates that God was satisfied with the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and that there's nothing else needed. There's not any good thing you've got to do to go to heaven. Now, you will change if you have genuine faith in Jesus, but there's nothing you can do to earn your way in. There's no religious practice that'll take you a step closer to God. It's just, is Jesus alive or not? That's it. Jesus conquered death. Jesus lives again having fully satisfied the righteousness and the justice of God. And so you see, folks, the resurrection of Jesus is not just a nice story and it's not just part of Christian belief. It is absolutely essential. If you don't believe Jesus has been raised from the dead physically, really, not figuratively, you're not a believer in Jesus. You're still in your sin. Y'all, this Sunday is not just a celebration of a little event in history. This is the celebration of the single most vital part of all of Christianity. The most important single day in human global history. In reality, the fate of our eternal souls rests completely on whether or not we believe Jesus is alive. The Bible says if you want to be saved, if you want to be forgiven by God, you've got to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So if you've already believed in the resurrection of Jesus, if you've already received his offer of salvation, you can celebrate today and you can hope like we see in this last point. If you haven't, I will invite you to do that before we're done. Last point. This won't take forever. Point number four. Find your hope in Jesus' resurrection. Find your hope in Jesus' resurrection. 20 to 24. Paul says, but... By the way, almost every time the word but is used in the Bible, it's really good. But in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, 
By a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. For as an animal die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. So here we go. Paul says, I'm not even going to keep talking about how bad it would be if Jesus was not alive because Jesus is raised from the dead. He is alive. He did not stay in the tomb. God was fully satisfied with his sacrifice. And so Paul says about Jesus, Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. Look, in the Jewish life, you would bring some of your first crops in, the first harvested crops, as a gift to sacrifice to God. Then later, the rest of the harvest comes in. You have your first fruits, you have the rest of the fruits. Calling Jesus the first fruits of the dead is to say Jesus is the first person to come to life after death, but he's not going to be the only one. Other people are going to follow. We who believe in the Lord Jesus will follow him in resurrection life. In verses 21 and 22, Paul says, look, the story of the resurrection ties to all of the rest of the Bible story. Paul says that sin entered the human race, how? Through Adam. Death came to all the world because of Adam's rebellion in the garden so many thousands of years ago. How many of you are just annoyed by allergy season? (laughs) Blame Adam. Wouldn't be here if Adam hadn't rebelled against God. How many of you hate cancer. Blame Adam. How many of you hate death and wish it would go away? Blame Adam. But just as death came to the sin of Adam, so the resurrection of the dead, life after death is going to come to many people through the resurrection of one man, Jesus. It is because of Jesus' resurrection we can hope to live even if we die In verses 23 and 24, then Paul says there is going to be an order to this resurrection. Jesus rises first. After Jesus' resurrection, the rest of the human race is going to live. And then Jesus is going to put us in our place in God's eternal kingdom. The resurrection of Jesus points us to a day to come when every single believer will rise from their grave, meet Jesus face to face, and join God in glory. Can you imagine the beauty and the awe and the glory that day is going to bring? Picture what it's going to be like when the God who made you, the God who knows you better than anyone ever possibly could, does what needs to be done to satisfy your soul forever. You see, one day, the final trumpet will sound, as the Bible says. Jesus is going to come back. He is going to receive his followers to himself. Our bodies are going to be changed from this stuff to something that will last for eternity. And every single person who has ever trusted in Jesus for salvation will live and live with him forever. We will not fear death anymore because death will be swallowed up in victory as those who read verses 50 to the end of the chapter see. The final verse of the chapter, verse 58, tells us what we need to come away with from this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul says Christians have hope because of what Jesus promises. Have hope because of the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. 
and he's alive today. We're not going to die and stay dead. I'm glad about that. We will rise to meet him in glory. We will have an eternal reward in Christ. And so our lives here will have meaning. Y'all, if we live for 70 years on earth and then nothing follows it, our lives are meaningless and useless. You get the fact, don't you, that nobody remembers who's gone before? If I asked you to name for me like the 19th president, you would have a hard time. And that was a stinking president. Who's going to remember you? Even if you think your great-grandchildren will remember you, your great-great ones won't. If all we have is 70 years, it's useless. Nobody remembers who went before and very few care. But if there is a resurrection from the dead, and there is, then we have hope that our lives actually matter. Then we have hope that what we do in life can matter for eternity. That's good news. It gives our lives meaning. It gives our lives hope. And that's where we find hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. The anger that God has because of our sin was satisfied when he crushed Jesus on the cross. The price for sins was fully paid. And we who put our trust in Jesus will share with Jesus in a glorious eternity. So guys, Christians, find hope. Find joy. Find life in the resurrection of Jesus. And if you don't know this truth for yourself, we would invite anybody who wants to be forgiven by God, anybody who wants to live forever in joy with God, what do you need to do? Know that you have sinned before God like all of us have. Look, not one of us in this room is better than any other one of us in this room. Not even close. Not one of us is good. But God offers forgiveness to anybody who will believe that Jesus is who he says he is and did what he said he did. If you're willing to believe that Jesus lived a perfect life, died to pay for your sins and rose from the grave, if you're willing to start following him instead of being your own boss forever, God says he's completely willing to forgive you. Ask Jesus for mercy. And he will grant it to you. He will forgive you. He will change you. He will give you hope forever. Just as Jesus rose from the grave to live forever. He will give you life forever in perfect joy. If you turn from sin, turn from self, and rest in him and his perfect sacrifice for your sins. That's what we celebrate today. And if you don't know that gift, come talk to me afterwards. I would love to introduce you to Jesus. Let's bow together and let's pray. Lord, the truth is, I feel so completely inadequate to communicate such a big truth. You are great and you are glorious and you are good and we praise you. And the fact that Jesus is alive really is our hope. But God, none of us would get this without you. None of us would understand 
none of us, none of us have hope if Jesus isn't alive. So my prayer is that you will help those of us who are struggling with doubts to defeat those doubts with faith in the resurrection and help those of us who just need to be encouraged to be encouraged and help those who have not yet believed to believe. And Lord, help those who who need your mercy to find it. God, be glorified. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.